Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the, the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for every person here. Thank you for the children and the Sunday school teachers. Please bless them. Please teach them. Please make them strong. And we pray that for us too, that you'd help us to listen, help us to obey, help us to understand. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how simple it is. And um, But you, I pray that you'd help us to understand some of these long words and long sentences, that you'd make it clear to us. Please help David by your spirit. And we thank you for everything you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's now the fifth Sunday uh, of us looking together at this chapter, chapter two of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> As we've noted, verses one to 10 are written for all the believers there, showing how they all once were prior to their conversion. And then from verse four onwards, how they all now are having come to faith in Jesus Christ. More accurately, having been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember verse 8 there, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, even faith. Faith can be seen as works by some people. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That verse really summarizes for us the big long doctrine of chapter 1. We looked at election, we looked at predestination, all those other wonderful doctrines. It's all summarized for us in that verse, verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. What a wonderful verse for children to memorize, maybe even adults uh, to memorize and remember. But then from verse 11 onwards, Paul has been speaking specifically to the converted Gentiles non-Jewish believers there in the church at Ephesus. He's reminding them specifically, those specifically, verses 11 and 12, of how they were prior to their conversion. 
He reminds them of their label in verse 11, the uncircumcised. And then verse 12, he gives them five implications of that, them being the uncircumcised. Last week, we looked at verses 13 to 18 at what follows the but then or but now. That little sentence, but now phrase, the beginning of verse 13. It's very similar to what he wrote back in verse 4, but God. Well, yeah, it's helpful to highlight your Bible. Mine's is like rainbow colors, all these different colors on it. It helps to highlight your Bible to see these things stand out. The but now, very similar to the but God in verse 4. The but now transition shows what Christ has now done for non-Jews. He's now included them alongside Jews in the church. Christ making in himself, this new body, one new body, in the place of the two, the Gentiles and Jews. Now, one body in Christ, verses 14, 15. But we're concluding this chapter this morning, noting the next transition in Paul's letter, uh, verse 19. So then, highlight that in your Bible. So then. There's a pattern you see Paul uses, I think, worth mentioning in his style of writing. In verses 1 to 10, he shows what we once were, verses 1 to 3, then what we now are, verses 4 to 9, to then show the implications of that in verse 10, the good works that we are now called to do. And he repeats that pattern in these verses that Joe read to us, verses 11 to 22. He shows them what Gentiles once were, 11 and 12. Then now what we now are, verses 13 to 18, to then show the implications of that, verses 19 to 22, and that is our study this morning. Who are we now as believers? Who are what are we now as those who are in Christ Jesus? So then, as Paul would say, what are the implications of Gentiles like us coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul here uses a series of terms to label and to describe our new identity. There are three things that stand out in these verses as to who we now are. First of all, God's kingdom. Verse 19, God's kingdom. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Do you remember how Paul described these Gentile Christians, how they once were, verse 12, alienated, there's that word alien, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. That word alienated, or if you use the NIV, excluded, we all know if you're a kid, if you're going to school, what that word means to be excluded, to be put out of a school. Uh, you miss out on what's happening inside the school. You miss out on the teaching. Hooray. No, you miss out on that. You miss out on the fellowship that goes on inside the school, the sports and everything else that makes that school as brilliant as it is, I'm sure. You miss out on that because you've been excluded. Well, Gentiles were excluded from this citizenship of Israel. They were outside of it. 
They didn't enjoy, they weren't allowed to take part in what went on inside this, this unique covenant uh, community of people. But, but now there's been a great change, you see. Now they are no longer foreigners or strangers or aliens, but now they are fellow citizens with the saints, the, the Jewish believers. It's a picture of someone belonging to another country, someone not from around here, a, an immigrant of sorts, now being part of a new country, this, their kingdom. Beforehand, they wouldn't have had the same rights, the same privileges of a, of a native, someone born here, someone registered here, someone with a genuine British passport, as it were. We live in an age, don't we, of uh, migrants coming across the English Channel wanting to come to this kingdom, wanting to belong to this earthly and a great kingdom, the United Kingdom. They want to come here. They want to, to be part of this kingdom. And I'm not being a, a politician here. I'm not saying anything about this. But until they become a citizen of this great kingdom, they have no legal right to be here. They have no legal access to the benefits of this kingdom, to all that makes this United Kingdom a great kingdom. Not until they're granted asylum, not until they're allowed to become a citizen of this kingdom. Friends, we were all once like that. We were all once like that. We all were once excluded from the benefits of belonging to God's greater kingdom. We were all barred from all the promises associated with belonging to God's covenant people. But Christ has changed all of that for us. Through the cross, through the, the, the blood shed from the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now included in that wonderful kingdom. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, we no longer live on a passport, but we really have our birth certificates. We really do belong. In other words, in Christ, we are not second-class citizens to saved Jews. There they are up in first class, as it were, but we are fellow citizens with them. We'll look at this more next week. Paul elaborates more and more on that in chapter 3, verse 6. We are fellow heirs. It's important. We share in the same privileges. We share in the same blessings with them in Christ. Back in chapter 1, we saw in verse 3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So friends, this is the ultimate inclusion for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ to belong to, to be part of this one new international kingdom of Jews and Gentiles, whatever your background, whatever your nationality, but, but in Christ we are reconciled to each other and all of us standing equally before God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But so what, someone might ask, what is so wonderful about belonging to God's kingdom? Well, because it is the kingdom of God. Paul here is writing his letter 
at what could be arguably put as the height of the Roman Empire. And so belonging, uh, being a, a citizen of that empire meant you had certain unique privileges. You had certain unique rights that no one else had. It involved property. It involved voting. You had legal issues that were all yours because you were a member, a citizen of the Roman Empire. Do you remember how uh, in Acts, 8, uh, Acts 16, uh, when uh, Paul, when the town mayor of Philippi discovers that Paul was a Roman citizen, it re he realizes he shouldn't have had Paul flogged. If you were a member of the Roman Empire, you couldn't be flogged like that. Later on in Acts 22, you see there how a Roman tribune has paid lots of money to get citizenship of that Roman kingdom. To be a Roman meant you had unique rights. You had privileges that belonged to the Roman Empire exclusively to them. You were always on the winning side, for example. Rome, when it invaded, usually won all its battles. Who wants to be on the losing side? But Paul here is pointing to an even greater kingdom, the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is invincible, that is everlasting, a kingdom with even greater privileges for all its citizens. Not quite yet a physical kingdom here on earth, but still a true kingdom begun now with the church. God's kingdom is where Christ reigns as king, where through the preaching of the gospel, but sinners repent and believe and submit to Jesus Christ as their savior and king. People who are naturally rebellious against King Jesus, but now through hearing the gospel, through hearing of God's love for them shown on the cross, but they come now and they bow to King Jesus. And they receive him, they take him as their king and their savior. For now it's a spiritual kingdom, yes, we're Christ, by his spirit and word, rules and directs his people. But one day, this spiritual kingdom will become a worked-out physical reality. This earthly kingdom, which we belong to of the UK, it will pass away one day. One day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, this kingdom, with all its greatness, will be gone. But God's kingdom lasts forever. It's an eternal kingdom. It's an ever-enduring kingship of an ever-enduring king. And friend, if you're a Christian, you belong to that kingdom. Even this morning, you have a spiritual passport, as it were, and on the front of it is your name, and inside and so forth are all the details that relate to you belonging to him, King, King Jesus. Friend, if you're not a Christian, it dawned on me as I was writing this, it dawned on me how, how people from other countries are willing to risk their lives to become citizens of this kingdom. Don't we hear of how people sadly are drowned crossing the, the, the English Channel? They're willing to, to die even to get here. 
And yet, friends, how many of us still not a Christian, but we're not really that desperate to belong to God's kingdom, are we? We're not that bothered, really, are we, of coming to faith in Jesus Christ and belonging to this far greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. The second term Paul uses or he alludes to is God's family. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this is a more intimate term for our belonging, our inclusion. Yes, we are citizens of God's eternal kingdom, but as believers, we're also under, we're also members of his family. It's a far more privileged position, far more intimate position. It's one thing to be a citizen of the UK, to belong to this great nation over which King Charles reigns. But try to imagine the honor, try to imagine the privilege of being part of his family. Try. That would be obviously something even more precious than citizenship. It's always a great deal when the king and his family walk to church on Christmas morning. Imagine being part of that procession. You're included in the procession, and there you are walking along that lane up to that church, and everybody who comes out to watch the royal family are lining the road taking photographs of you because you're part of the family, you see. Or imagine you being allowed to go and visit King Charles in hospital or Princess of Wales in hospital. Why? Because you belong to the family. If you tried that now, you might get shot. Why? Because you don't belong to the family. You're trying to get close to a family you don't belong to. But through Christ, through Jesus Christ, through faith, personal true faith in Jesus, you belong to the King of Kings family. This is something that Paul has already mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 5. He talked there about our adoption through Jesus Christ. God predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. It's something he alludes to in verse 18 of chapter 2, how every believer through Christ has access to the Father. A father has children, doesn't he? Through Christ to the Father, by the Spirit, the Trinity involved in bringing you near to God for you to belong to that wonderful family. And here in this passage, in this context of inclusion, the emphasis is on our relationship with one another. Regardless of our color, regardless of our sex, our age, our ability, but, but as Christians, we are all brothers and sisters. We are all members of this one glorious family of God, this household of faith. Paul calls it in Galatians 6 verse 10. And the great privilege of that belonging is that as, as children of God, as, as members of his household, each of us, regardless of your age, even if you're a child believer here this morning, but each of us have a, have a share in the promised inheritance. We have a share in this. That promised future existence that Christ will bring into being at his coming again when with 
new bodies, new glorified bodies. We physically live forever with the Lord. When together as brothers and sisters, but we share eternity with our King in His presence and we see His glory and we worship Him and serve Him and, and our, our Father and we share the glory of heaven with Him being His children. This is such a great privilege for us believers, the church of Jesus Christ, the inclusion God has blessed us with, that even this morning as we sit here, even now we are members of his family, brothers and sisters of the household of God. And then the third term that Paul uses to describe our identity, our belonging, is of course God's temple. God's kingdom, God's family, and now God's temple. In John chapter 2, uh, the Lord Jesus stood in the temple at Jerusalem, and he told the people around him, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And the question is, what does he mean by this? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They all thought he meant the temple, the physical temple stood erect around him. But of course he meant himself, destroy this temple. And at his resurrection, his resurrected body would be the new temple. His risen, his glorified body would become the new meeting place in which God and mankind would come together and meet. The physical temple was historically where people traveled to to come before God and bring their sacrifices and all of that. Jesus is saying that through the resurrection, he becomes that new meeting place. We come to the Father, we come to God through him, and he is the sacrifice that allows us to draw near uh, to the Father. So his body would be the new dwelling place of God on earth. Christ, he would be the fulfillment of all that the earthly physical temples pointed to. Later on, when you look at what John saw in John 21, his vision of the new Jerusalem, the description there again is of God dwelling amongst his people. And John writes these words in verse 22. He says, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So from heaven's perspective, from God's perspective, the risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus Christ is the new temple. He is how God dwells amongst his people. But from our perspective, as Paul describes here, from the perspective of redeemed people drawing near to God, bringing glory to God, we have this third term that Paul uses to show our belonging. It's the temple of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There are three things I want to 
highlight for you that Paul writes regarding this temple. First of all, you notice he mentions a foundation. A foundation, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Hopefully, we all know how important it is that we get our foundations right. When it comes to building a structure that will stand up, even in the very worst of conditions, we need good foundations. We need solid foundations. When you think of the church and for the church to remain standing as a lasting spiritual structure, what are her foundations? Her foundations, we're told here, are the apostles and the prophets. And what is so important, what is so crucial about these as a foundation is, of course, their teaching. What it is they have said. These were divinely inspired teachers of God's truth. They were men with a divine revelation. They, they taught what God was making clear now to his people. These were men with divine authority. They expected that what they taught would be believed that what they taught would be obeyed. So it wasn't the person himself, it wasn't his office that was the foundation, but it's what they said on behalf of God uh, that has become the foundations. So friends, it's the scriptures that are the basis of who we are. We have a church constitution. Uh, Welbeck Road Evangelical Church has put together a document that summarizes the Bible. We believe it defines who we are and what we believe. It uh, explains our order of membership and what we do and why we do it and so forth. The scriptures are the one church's constitution. They're the founding documents, as it were, upon which we stand. And since they are our foundation, then like any physical foundation, if we mess around with it, the building will suffer. Cracks will appear. Plaster will fall off. And give it enough time, given enough terrible circumstances, the very building itself will collapse. I apply that to the church. And if we muck around with the scriptures, what will eventually happen to the church? If we add to the scriptures, if we subtract any truth from them, if we don't uphold the whole of the Bible, all of it from Genesis to Revelation, if we don't proclaim confidently the whole counsel of God, then look out for cracks. Look out for cracks. And in time, the church will crumble and fall. And you're sensible people. You need to apply this to our national scene at the minute, where the general picture of the church, sadly, is of cracks. The, se the second feature that Paul mentions in the temple is the cornerstone built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And, of course, the cornerstone is another important part of a building. In a sense, it's very similar to the foundation in that it is a foundational feature of the whole structure. The cornerstone of a building or the key stone in the whole structure 
in a sense, held the whole structure steady. It's the corner unit, the corner brick, let's call it. It established the line of the building. It, it, it holds that line as more and more bricks are added to the building and the building grows and takes shape and so forth. If that cornerstone in the corner is wonky, if it wasn't cut right, if it wasn't placed right, if it itself isn't steady and secure, then as more are added to it, the whole building will be wonky. It won't be secure. It won't be solid. Well, friends, here we read that the Lord Jesus himself is the cornerstone of the church. Back in verse 14, Paul told us that the Lord himself is our peace. In other words, Jesus is peace personified. And, and here, Jesus himself is strength and stability personified. Jesus himself, as it were, is holding the whole structure of the church together. What a wonderful thought that is as we come around the table, as we, as we are about to in a few moments think of the, the one who died for his church, the one who suffered and gave his life for us on the cross, the one who willingly took upon himself all our sin all our guilt and shame, who shed his blood for us and who today holds us together. He holds us fast. He's holding her up and he's holding her together. You see that here in verse 21, in whom, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows. It's like a living thing, isn't it? Jesus, as it were, is the, what binds us together like a glue. He's, he's the super glue in the church, the binding factor, and he is the, the nutrient that causes the growth in the church. Do you see that? It's in Christ that the church is united, and it's in Christ that the church grows. It, it reminds us of how important our union with Christ is. If I go elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus talked about himself being the vine, and we are like branches needing to be joined to the vine in order to grow and bear fruit. Or we're members of his body, parts of his body, needing to be joined to that body, obviously, in order to be alive, to operate under his headship of the body. Jesus Christ is the central key part of the church. We need to be joined to him through faith, spiritually through faith. It's all about him. He's the cornerstone. And each of us who know him as our Savior we are spiritually joined to him. We're part of his body, part of his church, part of the family of God, part of the temple of God. We could say more about that. One Peter talks about that as well. We'll come to that in our midweek meeting. But finally, as we close, look quickly at the purpose of this temple. Look at verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. 
by the Spirit. God never actually dwelt in any man-made building. For example, you think of the, the wonderful temple that Solomon built in 1 Kings. And you read there of what happened when uh, the temple had been finished and Solomon prayed and uh, the Shekinah glory of God came down and filled the temple. He, he filled the inner sanctum where the Ark of the Covenant was kept that symbolically represented the presence of God amongst his people. Only there in that tube of a room, only there could you say in any sense of the, of the word that God dwelt with his people. But now we have this new temple. Now the Almighty dwells in his people, the church. John Stott writes, God is not tied to holy buildings, but to holy people. Now in this covenant, this new covenant, individuals, believers, physical body is the temple of God. That is where God dwells by his spirit. Do you not know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, he says. You were bought at a price and therefore honor God with your body. So each individual believer is a dwelling place for God. But more than that, as we think of our community here as a, a community of Christians, every local assembly of believers is the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul tells the church there, he says, don't you know? And that word you is the plural form of you. Don't you all know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's Spirit lives in you. So there are different aspects of this one truth. God dwells in each individual believer, and he dwells with each local group of believers. That is why our corporate gatherings are so important. That's why when we gather like this on the Lord's day and we come together, us being together, it allows us to express our identity. It allows us to show in this unique way who we are. We are this local expression of the kingdom of God, the family of God, and the temple of God. This building is not the church. You are the church. This room is not the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. Your, individ your individual hearts, and in a special way, you gather together as an assembly, is where God chooses now to dwell by His Spirit. Which means when we come together on the Lord's day, at least on the Lord's day, when we all come out of our homes and we come to this place and we physically come together, 
Some of us can't, obviously, but when we do come together, we are expressing our identity and we are expressing just a foretaste of what will happen one day. One day when Jesus Christ comes back, then all Christians will be gathered together as one people to be with him forever and ever and ever. And what shall we be doing? We shall be singing our praises. We shall be worshiping him. We shall be rejoicing because we're together in the presence of our king. What should we be doing now on a Sunday? Like a foretaste of that glorious event. So how have you been singing this morning? Have you been listening this morning? Have you been praying this morning? When we're so blessed, so privileged to be who we are. It really does affect how we live out our Christian life when we remember who we are. Friends, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, then this is what you are. You're a blood-bought member of God's kingdom, a kingdom that is unshakable, a kingdom that will last forever. If you're a believer, then by the grace of God, you're a member of God's family. All the privileges of belonging to the very family, the royal family of the King of Kings. That is who you are this morning. If you're a Christian, then through the cross of Jesus Christ, you are the temple of God, the place in which God himself has chosen to dwell by his Spirit. Friends, we call ourselves Welbeck Road Evangelical Church, but we are the church of Jesus Christ. What a privilege to belong to that. I hope you do. I hope you do. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I hope you do belong to such a community of people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the enormity of your grace shown to us. We thank you, Lord, that though we, as fallen creatures, we deserve hell, Yet because of your great compassion towards us, because of your great grace, because of your great mercy, because of your great love with which you love us, we have Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Jesus, our King. Thank you for all we have in him, for all we are in him. And we pray the Holy Spirit will persuade us of that and help us to fathom more and more of it, Lord, that we would live as we ought to then. How blessed we are. Hear us, please, we pray, and affirm this again as we come around the table, as we remember the place and the, the event that, that sealed all of this for us through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring us to the cross by faith again, we pray as we worship him at his table. We ask in his name, amen.